This is Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus, lesson three. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to teach you about the second and third most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. The first, there's no question about what verse is the most misunderstood. That's Matthew 28, 19. If you're listening to this discourse for the very first time and wonder what I mean by that, all you have to do is ask this simple question. Who was Jesus talking to in Matthew 28 and verse 19? The answer is in verse 16. It says the 11 disciples. Judas obviously had committed suicide and his slot had not been replaced. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 1, there are 11 names mentioned there in Acts chapter 1. There is no doubt that that 11 that are mentioned in Acts chapter 1 are the very same 11 that Jesus was addressing in Matthew 28, 19. If you were listening last week, the word says he opened up their understanding. So either these early leaders and apostles were disobeying Jesus, which I think was impossible after he opened up their understanding, or they knew exactly what he was talking about in Matthew 28, 19, when he said, go and baptize everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. Because uh, that is the name. That is the name. If you look at the word, Matthew 28, 19, that's, I, don't, it's, I forget how many verses there are in Matthew 28, but it's, we're really close to the end there, 28, 19. It's one of the last things that Matthew remembered Jesus saying. If you go to the last chapter of the book of Mark, Mark talked about baptism and the name. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. The last chapter of the book of Luke, or the next to the last chapter, I think Luke has, uh, no, it is the last chapter, 24th chapter of the book of Luke in verse 47. It said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. How are your sins remitted? If you study Acts 2.38, remission of sins is accomplished through baptism. So when you talk about remission of sins, it's synonymous with baptism. So when it says that repentance and remission of sins, i.e. baptism, should be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. That's exactly what they did. It's um, at the end of the book of John, John has 21 chapters, but John 20 and 31 said, these things are written that you might believe in Jesus Christ, uh, Son of God, believing you have life through his name. The thing that every, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all remember is the last thing he talked to them about was his name was his name. That's why in the book of Acts 2.38, which was the very first time someone was baptized after the resurrection of Jesus, they were not baptized in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. There are only four places in the book of Acts where people are water baptized. They were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is why I think Matthew 28, 19 is the most abused and misunderstood scripture in the Bible. This is the second one. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. That's a powerful statement right there because apparently you can't have the approval of God if you don't study. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. So if you can rightly divide it, you can wrongly divide it. Okay? Here's how you rightly divide the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are known as the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, etc., Luke and John. But um, it's in those gospels that you will find out about John the Baptist. You will find about Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. You will find about him choosing his 12 apostles. You will read of his parables and his teachings. You will read of 37 incidents of miracles that he performed. John said there were lots of other things he did. Not even the world could contain the books that could be written on the miracles that were performed by Jesus during his ministry. And you will read about his death, burial, and resurrection. It says in John 7, 37, 38, and 39, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as Pastor Hoffman said, or as your priest says, or your rabbi, or your bishop, or your whatever, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Holy Ghost, which they that believe on him should receive. Watch. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus wasn't glorified yet. If you know your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and then he leaves. We know according to the book of Revelation that he wasn't glorified until after he left. Since it says in John 7, 39, Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus wasn't glorified, it's a no-brainer. You have to go beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to find out about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That will take you to the next division in the Bible, the book of Acts. Acts is the diary of the New Testament church. It has 28 chapters. Acts 1 through 12, the principal spokesman is Peter. Acts 13 through 28, the principal spokesman is the Apostle Paul. If you've got any kind of a Bible at all, in the back of that Bible are maps, and always in those maps will be Paul's missionary journeys. If you've got a study Bible, it will not only show you where he went, but it will give you a scripture in the Bible that describes that trip to that place, they will always be somewhere between Acts 13 and Acts 28. This is very important because Paul would go to a city and he would preach and have a harvest and then he would leave. Sometimes he got to come back, sometimes he didn't, but he wrote letters back to these churches that were established in the book of Acts. Thus you have the third division of the New Testament, the letters or what are known as the epistles. The epistles were not written to people who were thinking about getting in church. They were written to people who were already in the church. And as one man said, you can't read somebody else's mail. I am reading to you from the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 9. This is written according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 9, to the saints that are at Rome. These are all ready. These people are already in the church. They're already in the church. So you can't go to Romans to find out about how to get in the church. The epistles are letters written to help you stay in the church. So there's three divisions. You have the Gospels of Matthew. You know, if you want to read about the parables of Jesus, you can't go to the book of Acts. And you can't go to the letters. If you want to read about John the Baptist, don't go to the epistles. You've got to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to read about Bethlehem, and, it's, and you, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got to rightly divide it. What are you looking for? And depending on what you're looking for, that will decide which division of the New Testament you're going to. I've heard about a phrase, the will of God all my life. It's voodoo to most people. It's some deep, dark, uh, just, you know, unattainable, unattainable, 
spooky, scary, something, the will of God. But um, there are testaments in the Bible, and when someone dies, they usually have a will and testament. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, if that first testament had been faultless, there would have been no need of the second. So you have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. Bible said the New Testament was written in his blood. The New Testament is very powerful because it's the teachings of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what does he say in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I'm gonna build a church. I'm not building one yet. I'm just training these men, and, but I'm going to have a church. That's the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the book of Acts is when that church is begun. Simon Peter is the principal spokesman because if you read Matthew chapter 16, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Whenever you read a list of the apostles, it will always begin with Peter, James, and John. Peter was the principal spokesman. He was a very, very unique critter in the Bible. And this, this, is, this, is, this is pivotal for you and I understand this. You can't go to the letters written to people who are already saved about how to get saved. There's only one book in the Bible that will teach you how to be saved. That's the book of Acts. Okay? Jesus said, I'm going to have a church. And then he has a church. And then there are teachings about how to stay in that church. Okay? Am I doing anything wrong? Okay, thank you. Thank God for wonderful sound people. There's, there's over a thousand buttons and knobs back there and any one of them can mess up this service. And so I'm always grateful for people that do what they can to make this thing right. So if you can rightly divide the word, you can wrongly divide it. Ladies and gentlemen, you can mess up every other book you read, but when it comes to the Bible, you better get it right. If you have the time and inclination, one day you may study William Shakespeare. People have been quoting his writings for years. Um, Shakespeare is credited with inventing over 1,700 words. They weren't in our vocabulary. If you have ever used words like addiction, amazement, champion, gossip, or skim milk, you learned that from Bill Shakespeare. He invented those words. There are people that have been quoting his writings for years. Some are doing it to look intelligent. Others, just because they love the language. But just because they quote it doesn't mean they understand it. And it's the same way with the Bible. People misunderstand the Bible for the same reason they misunderstand Shakespeare. They spend time repeating what they've heard somebody else say, but they've never really taken the time to study and get the proper understanding for themselves. In the light of what I've previously said, you can mess up Bill Shakespeare. You might not know what he was trying to say. You might misunderstand Mr. Shakespeare, but that has no eternal consequences. If you mess up what this Bible is saying, there are long-term consequences to that foolishness and to that misunderstanding. And if, if the people that preachers preach to don't know what the Bible is really saying and the preacher gets it wrong, chances are those people are not going to be lost. Chances are those people are lost. The greatest danger in the world is the false prophet and the praise hustler. The ones who try to make the Bible sound like the way they want it to sound and what they want it to say. If you were here last week, it's eisegesis and not exegesis. These fellows that keep saying, hallelujah, 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 while trying to think up what they're gonna say next. Like one well-meaning pastor told me years ago when he came in and I was studying 
I wasn't married. I studied all day. I was happy to do it. I enjoyed it. He came in and looked with frustration at my marked up Bible and my books. And he said, Brother Harold, every now and then you just need to shout them. Just shout them. And uh, because to some people, Cool Whip is a food group. And uh, I've heard a lot of Cool Whip sermons in my day. One of my elders said, I've never heard a sermon that I didn't learn something. But he said, I've had some close calls. If sometimes all you get is the text. Once it gets going, these people can say any dumb thing and the crowd will respond. All the while, nobody's getting any word. John Sexton and I went to a place many moons ago. It was a unique experience. It was wild, woolly, and crazy. When we got done and were coming home, John looked at me and he said, Pastor, the Antichrist could preach in that church and they'd still shout. (laughs) Because these hustlers go right past the Old Testament. Take off in the four Gospels. Fly completely over the book of Acts and land in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. If you miss everything I tell you today, please get this. The book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that will tell you how to be born again and how to receive Jesus Christ. Because the phrase, accepting Jesus as your personal Savior, is not in the Bible. And it's not in there because it doesn't mean anything. It's deception. Read the Bible. Learn the Bible. Get saved the only way the Bible says to be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. No preacher has the right to place his own meaning on salvation just to fill up a church with nickels and noses. It's not enough. God's people really don't care about my personal opinion or my personal feeling about what the scripture says because people that know the word care about this. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is by any private interpretation. You ever hear someone say, I got a revelation and no one else has it? Run for your life. They're lying. They're lying. Don't just get a thought and then try to find a verse that backs up what you think. You can prove anything is right that way. If you get a revelation, go through that Bible and see if there's something in that Bible that doesn't agree with what you say. If there's something in there that doesn't agree with what you say, then what you say is wrong. One scripture says, Judas went out and hung himself. There's another scripture that says, go and do thou likewise. There's a verse that says, let him that stole steal no more, working with his hands. Or you could read this, let him that stole steal, no more working with his hands. Got a revelation. But does the rest of the Bible back it up? That's very, very important. Because you have to be careful when people sit in a circle and someone asks, so what do you think this scripture means? Well, there are four places they could go, north, east, south, or west. The Bible, the, I've, I read this in the dictionary. It describes the word abuse as changing the inherent purpose or function of something improperly, to wrongly use. And when people read their own meaning into the Bible, it amounts to abuse of the scripture. I understand that along the way, there will be scriptures that you will wrestle with, and you will have a difficult time figuring out. No less than Peter said this, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood. Peter said, Brother Paul, I still can't quite figure out what you were trying to talk about. And as great as he was, he admitted that some of Paul's teachings were hard to understand. 
He also went on to say that the ignorant and unstable have twisted or rested Paul's letters to mean something that he never intended it to say. He said doing this will lead to their destruction. Philip was one of the original, was not one of the original 12, but he was of those seven. If you know, if you know the book of Acts, the church grew. And when you get around chapter six, it said there arose a dispute among the Greek widows and the Jewish widows. Basically, the Greek widows were saying the Jewish widows are getting filet uh, while we get the feet. And um, so it says they chose seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. It surprised me to learn when I began to really study this that all seven of those men that were chosen by the early apostles had Greek names, not Jewish names. Which proves to me these apostles were bending over backwards, trying to avoid partiality. Philip, not one of the original 12, but one of those seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom in Acts chapter 8, went down to Samaria. If you remember Jesus in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem and Judea is all Jews, but Samaritans were half Jew. They were, they were, uh, they were a subculture of people that had married in to other armies that were watching over them. And a Samaritan was hated by an Orthodox Jew. But Jesus said, I want them to hear the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went to Samaria. The Bible said he preached Jesus unto them. It said they had miracles. It says that there were great healings. It says there were lots of people baptized. But it said, for as yet... He had fallen upon none of them. No one had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. So Philip, being a submitted elder that he was, called for Peter to come down from Jerusalem. When Peter came, he laid his hands on them. The Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It does not say in Acts chapter 8 that they, were, that they spoke in tongues. However, it does say there was a man there named Simon. This is not a magician. This is not a guy that uses sleight of hand, but this is a guy that traffics in black spirits. He's a sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer. Simon saw something that so stunned him, he wanted to buy it. I submit to you that he saw people speaking with tongues and he wanted that gift. It's fascinating when you study this because it's obvious that Peter had laid hands not just on everybody else, but on Simon as well. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And yet Peter went on to say, your money perishes with you because your heart is not right with God. Which in a couple weeks we'll deal with that. How's your heart? How's your heart? It's one thing to have the Holy Ghost and still have heart issues, still have heart problems. This guy's baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, still got heart issues. And what amazes me is that in the middle of this great harvest in Samaria, the Bible says in verse number 26, an angel of the Lord appeared and spoke to Philip and said, I want you to leave this harvest and go out into the desert, the desert of Gaza. It's fascinating because this one man happens to be at the one place at the very moment when a chariot comes driving down. In the chariot is a man, we do not know his name. He is referred to as the Ethiopian eunuch. He is a very high political figure in the the, the, the cabinet of a woman by the name of Candace, who is the queen of Ethiopia. If you read the verses clearly, it's obvious that this man, it says in verse 27, had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
He had come to one of the feast days. It says he was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. So while at Jerusalem, whether he purchased it or was given it, he came into possession of the book of Isaiah, which we still have. He was reading these verses. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we were healed. Philip looks at this man and says, do you understand what you're reading? And in verse 31, he says, how can I except some man guide me? Philip, it says, went up and explained the way more perfectly. And it says, and when they had went down into the water, he was baptized in the name of the Lord. This man was looking for God, but God sent him a guide. And if we don't understand scripture, it's right to ask for guidance. It's the duty of myself and other ministers to live this verse in Nehemiah. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. What did the original writer in the book of Romans mean? And what is Romans 10 and 9 saying about Jesus? There are eight, at least eight divisions in the Bible. There's law, there's Old Testament history, there's poetry, prophecy, biography. Then there's New Testament history. There's the, the epistles of Paul and then the general apostles of the others. But listen to me. It's a Jesus book. The law is the foundation. History is the preparation. Poetry is the aspiration. Prophecy is expectation. The gospels are the presentation. Acts is the propagation. The epistles are the explanation. And the general epistles are the consummation of the redemptive work of Jesus. But I'm telling you, this is a Jesus book. As one of my elders said years ago, Harold, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. That's what we can never forget. And that's what we always have to keep in the forefront of our mind. Because melt it all down and you have two covenants, one in the front and one in the back. Romans 15 and 4 said that things written aforetime, or the Old Testament, were written for our learning, not there, for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Because the Bible is a place where the second is always better than the first. If you read Romans 9, listen to Romans 9. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. If you know your Bible, Abraham had two boys. The first boy, the first boy was Ishmael. The second was Isaac. If you know also, Isaac had two boys. The first one is Esau. The second one was Jacob. The Bible said, but in Israel shall thy seed be called. It was the second birth. It was not Ishmael. It was Isaac. It wasn't Esau. It wasn't Jacob. It was Jacob. Here's a verse I found in Exodus 7. And Moses was fourscore. He was 80 years old. And Aaron was fourscore and three years old. But you see what we're saying here. The firstborn son was Aaron. The secondborn was Moses. Moses was the deliverer. The Old Testament is our schoolmaster. And while it's still very relevant, the new covenant in the New Testament presents Jesus to us very clear and very bold. Because many think the first is the best if you're always number one. 
But this is not the case. The second covenant is better than the first. Just like the second birth is better than the first. That's why in John chapter 3, Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you had nothing to say about the first time you were born. You have everything to say about the second time you were born. The Bible says, but the fearful and unbelieving, abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Listen to me, your second birth cancels the second death so you can be ready for the second coming. All right, Jesus is coming again. Yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. That's Bible. He's coming again. Be ready. And since he's coming again, that's why it's so important for you to understand the plan of salvation in the book of Acts. You've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. And I was a kid. Someone came through our little coal mine town selling encyclopedias that he said were worth $200. He told everyone, if you give me $10 down, you will get very soon the entire set of encyclopedias, which I'm going to sell you for the low price of $49. Most of the people in that little coal mine town accepted the offer and gave him 10 bucks. That was over 50 years ago. They are still waiting for those encyclopedias. They have not showed up. My point is obvious. You can accept something and get nothing. But anything you have received, I'm not accepting Jesus as my savior. You have to receive Christ. Bible says to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 is not the plan of salvation. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Let me explain to you what I think is the second most misunderstood verse in the Bible. The only way it can even sound related to the plan is you have to take these entire verses out of context. This is Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul is writing, explaining how concerned he is with the Jews because they're lost and they need to be saved. One place he went on to say, I'd be willing to be lost if the nation of Israel could be saved. But stay in the context. There's two laws I've always tried to teach you. One is the law of first mention, the other is the law of context. Whenever something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, pay great attention to it because it sets a precedent for the rest of the things in the word. The second thing I've taught you is context. If you have a verse you don't understand, read 10 verses before and 10 verses after. 99% of the time, it'll explain and it'll answer your question, as I will do now. I won't go 10 verses, but I will go eight verses back. And in verse number one, he said, my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. Here's verse two. I bear them record, record. They have zeal, but they don't have any knowledge. They're excited, but something is missing. Their knowledge is incomplete. Why? 
because they're still trying to get through God, to get to God, rather, through Moses and his law. Same thing as in the book of Galatians. Paul was trying to show them they can't be saved just by following the Old Testament law because we're not under that first covenant anymore. Now, verse 3, for they being ignorant, he's talking about Jews, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness. I did this, I did that, I obeyed this, I did that. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Watch verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believeth. Listen to the message. They don't seem to realize that this comprehensive setting things right, that is salvation, is God's business. And a most flourishing business it is. Right across the street, they set up their own salvation shops and noisily hawk their wares. After all these years of refusing to really deal with God on his terms, insisting instead on making their own deals, they have nothing to show for it. The earlier revelation, or the Old Testament law, was intended simply to get us ready for the Messiah, who will then put everything right, watch, for those who trust him to do it. Matthew 14, Jesus asks Peter to get out of a boat and walk on the water, which he does for a little while. But then it says in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he got afraid. So Peter yells at Jesus, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He wasn't asked, he wasn't asking Jesus to be saved from his sin. They, they needed deliverance from the storm. He's saying, Jesus, save me from drowning. Okay? When you see the word saved in the Bible, it's not always talking about being saved by the blood. Because Romans 5, 9, and 10 is very clear. We're saved by the blood. Paul is teaching that, here, I'll read it. Here's 9 and 10. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, that, now this can, may, may sound a lot of stained glass to you, but this is a very pertinent scripture to where we are right now. Because it's very obvious that before the Lord comes, there will be trouble. This is not the wrath of God. All right? There are people who say you're going to go through the tribulation. No, you aren't. No, you aren't. He has not appointed his children to wrath. And what Paul is saying in 5 and 9 and 10 is that he's saying that salvation from the wrath of God can only be obtained from, to people who are already saved. Because you've been saved by the blood... You will be saved from the wrath. Wrath is coming. All right? I don't know what it means, but to me, the whole supply chain is slowing down. I hear about boats that are anchored in the harbors of our coast that can't be unloaded because they don't have enough workers. I don't get it. I just saw McDonald's yesterday. If you work 90 days for us, we will give you a $500 bonus. And we will start you off at $18 an hour. Jeff Woodworth told me that if you go to work at Chrysler, you get paid $16 an hour for working like a Hebrew slave on their line. Why would you want to work for $16 an hour when you can work for $18 at McDonald's and get $500 bucks 90 days later? Something's going on in this country. Something, I don't claim to understand it. I, I, I've always driven Ford trucks. I, we have a lot of people in this church that drive other trucks. That's fine. I think they're all great trucks. However, I, I, I do know this. The Ford truck has been the number one selling truck in America for over the last 20 years. And yet recently, these Ford factories in this city shut down for three weeks. Why? They don't have the chips. They don't have the, 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 the Ram trucks. Jeff just told me they don't have seats. They have seats. He, he, he said, we, we put out millions of trucks. 
He said, we put out 300 yesterday because we don't have seats for our trucks. I don't, every store I go to, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. So much free money that's being passed around in this country. You don't have to work. Just sit there and get all this free government money. Let me explain something to you. The government never gave me nothing. It's not going to give you anything. Somebody's got to pay the tab. And, I, I, you know, the glass is half full or half empty. I've always tried to be a half full guy. And if you're in the church, it is half full. But if you're not in the church, it's half empty. I'm telling you, things are not going to get better. They're getting worse, and they're going to continue to get worse. All right? Yesterday, the governor of California just signed into law that all stores have to sell by binary stuff. They can't be gender, they have to be gender neutral. Toys for kids. You don't have toys for boys and toys for girls. He said, we don't want blue or pink toys. We want, he made a law in the state of California. And California sets the stage for many of things that go on in this country. I'm, ladies and gentlemen, you can see it. I don't know about this vaccination thing. I went into a store the other day and the lady said, are you vaccinated? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, okay, you can come in. As I was leaving, she said, when did you get vaccinated? I said, when I was eight, I got vaccinated against the mumps. It's just, I, I, it's just, this is crazy what's going on right now. The Bible said, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. If you're in the church, good days are here and better days are coming. If you're not in the church, you better strap your, you better tighten your chin strap on your helmet because it's going to be a tough ride. The wrath is coming. I want to be saved by the blood so I can be saved from the wrath. This is important. It's important. Israel, Paul was saying in Romans 10, Israel needs to be saved. He said they're very religious. They're devoted to the law of Moses and to their rituals. But they are omitting the main thing when it comes to salvation. And the main thing is Jesus. All right? Paul was saying because of their misguided zeal, they need to be delivered or saved from their traditions and brought into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is saying, if they really are serious about being saved, the first thing you need to do is get saved from the immediate threat of your old ways of thinking and your old traditions. Because the book of Romans was written to a group of people that were already saved. About a group of people that needed to get saved. And just as Peter needed first to be saved from drowning and then be saved from his sins, the Jews needed to be saved from their traditions so that they could be saved from their sins by the blood of Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? Paul is saying the problem with the Jews is your traditions are killing you and the first thing you have to be saved from are your traditions that keep you from admitting that Jesus Christ died and was raised supernaturally from the dead. And he's saying, if you are willing to admit that, then you can go on and accept the Jesus, the death of Jesus. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, forget about Moses and the law, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that he was raised from the dead, now we're getting somewhere because you're walking away from the law and your traditions and now you're ready to understand that he is Messiah and his blood shed on the cross is necessary for salvation. That's the explanation of that verse. Not that... Do you believe Jesus uh, died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he resurrected? Yes. You're saved. That's not what it's saying. It's written to Jews who needed to finally belly up to the bar and admit, Jesus, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And when you're willing, you're a Jew and you're willing to admit that, whew, now we're getting somewhere. 
He can't go on and accept the death of Jesus, that he is our substitute, unless they first can accept that the law of Moses and their traditions has been fulfilled. Confessing and believing would put them on the road to being safe. So then they could accept the gospel and be saved. So Paul was saying you need to be safe before you get saved. Because the Greek word for saved is a word sozo. It means to be safe, to do well, and to be well. Listen to this verse I read in the Wycliffe translation. That is, acknowledge in thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead and thou shalt be safe. You can't go to Romans and talk about being saved from sin. You can't go to Corinthians and talk about being saved from sin. You can't be saved from sin, live saved from sin, or think about being saved from sin until you first obey what's in the book of Acts. Greatest book-burning institution in the history of the world was the Catholic Church. It's what is known as the Dark Ages. They burned everything that didn't line up with their dogma. They invent this, what an amazing idea. They're out of money. They need money, so they invent something called purgatory. Churches in Latin. Common people didn't speak Latin. They couldn't even have a Bible. So you go to church, you don't understand a word that's going on, but you trust this guy with the hat and all the vestments and the crosses and the chains. Your baby dies. It's in purgatory. I'll tell you what, give me a hundred bucks. I'll have a mass. I'll assure you, your baby goes from purgatory to heaven. If you're just an ignorant farmer, you're going to give him the hundred bucks. It's the gross national product of the third largest country in the world. Where do you think all that money came from? Man, I'll do anything to save my little girl, to save my little boy, make sure my wife goes to heaven. It's, 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 it's crazy what's going on. And you get in, 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 in the 16th century, and you've got this guy named Martin Luther. He's a Catholic priest. He's preaching at one of their seminaries. And he begins to study the book of Romans. And Romans says you're justified by faith, not by your bank account. And so Martin Luther rises against. Listen, there's always a disgruntled mass. And from that disgruntled mass comes a man. The man usually gives birth to a movement. The movement then becomes a machine and the machine runs out of oil and becomes a monument. And then from the disgruntled mass comes another man with another movement. Martin Luther had enormous courage. It's called the Reformation. He literally nailed 95 reasons on a church, a Catholic church, why what they were preaching in this building was wrong. He was on the FBI's most wanted list for the rest of his life. They tried to kill him for the rest of his life because he said, you're justified by faith and not by money. I found this in, in, in his journal. It's, this is in 1533. This is the way it has gone with preaching. After the text of the gospel is read, they then take us to fairyland. One preaches from Aristotle and the other the books of the heathen. Another from the decrees of the Pope. Another brings questions about his holy order and another about blue ducks and hen's milk. In short, this is the art in which nobody sticks to the text from which people might have had the opportunity to be saved by the gospel. Here's the next verse. I'll go quickly. This is Acts 16 and 31. Paul and Silas in prison. This is what they said to the jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's all you got to do. I believe Jesus was here. I believe he died for my sins. I accept him into my heart by faith. It's repentance, really, in its most basic form. 
But let's, let's do this again. He that, John 7, 37, 38, 9. He that believeth on me, he that believeth on me. You're saved by believing. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said. So let's see what the scripture says about believing on the Lord. Go to the last chapter of the book of Mark. And in Mark 16 and 16, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not and consequently isn't baptized is damned. That's in red. I didn't say that. Jesus himself said that. He went on to say, these signs shall follow them that believe. And one of those signs is they will speak with new tongues. That's what Jesus said. Here is something very, very powerful when I study what the scripture said. Acts 10. Acts 10 is the story of Peter. And he has this vision. And this, this, this basically a bed sheet comes down out of heaven. And it opens up and it's got all these animals in there that he's been taught all of his life. You know, you don't eat shrimp and you don't eat pigs and on and on. There's all, there's all, and, and, and he says, rise and eat. And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to, that's unclean. It goes away. It comes back the second time. And the third, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. I, 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 I'm not going to eat anything unclean. It goes away. And the Lord says, don't you ever call anything that I've cleaned common. He no sooner hears that and there's a knock at the bottom of the steps. Peter, there are some people down here from Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a centurion, century, 100. He's got 100 soldiers under his command. He has sent his servants to Peter to ask him to come to his house. Pete is about to, you tell them filthy dogs to. And then he remembered, we're not talking about pigs here. We're talking about people. So Peter gets a posse of six guys to cover his rear. And he goes to Cornelius' house. And you've got to understand, Jews don't go to Gentiles' house. It doesn't happen. Peter goes, and it says that Cornelius, his prayers, watch, and his alms. His prayers and his giving have come up as a memorial unto the Lord. He calls for Peter. What does Peter preach at Cornelius' house? You need to repent and be baptized. No, 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 no. Watch what it says in Acts 10 and verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Next verse. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. And they of the circumcision, or this posse of Jews that Jesus or that Peter brought, they of the circumcision, which came also with Peter, were astonished because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did those Jews know those Gentiles had been filled with the Holy Ghost? Because the very next verse says, For they heard them speak with tongues. I'm telling you the most difficult group to convince that someone had been filled with the Holy Ghost is a bunch of self-righteous Jews who believe they've got the market cornered and do not want Gentiles in their Jewish church. But they heard, how did the Jews know that the Gentiles had the Holy Ghost? They heard us, how am I going to know you've received, how are you going to know that I have the Holy Ghost? You are going to hear me speak with tongues. I'm going to hear you speak with tongues. Right? That's 43. But look, and then Peter said, can any man forbid water? There's two ways to look at this. But one way is like, come on, guys, think of something quick. Because if you can't think up something, I'm going to have to baptize these dudes. And I'm going to get in deep, deep, deep trouble. They come up with nothing. So what does it say in verse 48? That they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, he stayed there 10 days. So you go to the next chapter, chapter 11. What happens in Acts chapter 11? Look at verse three. The elders, this is Peter, man. This is, this is the big kahuna. 
This is the guy with the keys, but he submitted. There are elders in the church of Jerusalem and look what they say in verse three. You went in to an uncircumcised house and you ate with them. Dogs, you ate with Gentile dogs. Why did you do that? So Peter explains how the sheet came down and he saw the vision and he went to Cornelius' house. Watch in verse number 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be received, be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Watch. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I withstand God? Yes, Cornelius and his house were filled with the Holy Ghost before they were ever baptized. But you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit without repenting. That's why he said they purified their heart with faith. While I was preaching unto them and teaching them, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're repenting. And right while I'm preaching, they're filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. What could I do? He fell on them just like he fell on us who believed. We believed and got the Holy Ghost. They believed and got the Holy Ghost. I had to baptize them. This is important because when, look at, look at Acts chapter 19. Here are people that, 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 that have already been, these are people in Ephesus. They've already been baptized by John the Baptist. And Paul says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we don't even know if we can get the Holy Ghost. And he said, don't you remember what John the Baptist preached? Someone's coming after him, mightier than he was. That someone has come. His name is Jesus. Watch what it says. Even though they've been baptized by no less than John the Baptist, it says they were baptized again in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is what it says. This is what Paul wrote to the Ephesian believer. I'm finishing. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. After you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Listen to these three verses. Matthew 28, 19. Let me ask you one simple question. What is the name of the Son? The name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. My Father's name. The name, the saving name of the Son is Jesus. What is the Holy? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The name, the name it's not father, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a grandson, I'm a pat. That is not my name. The name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The name is Jesus. Now why fuss with that? The most biblically documented doctrine in the Bible is water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace that. Accept that. Obey that. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? This is important. Look, 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 at, look at the next verse. Look at, look at, here's Romans, Romans 10 and verse 9. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that he was resurrected from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I have tried to show you what he is writing to Jews and trying to explain to them, you're going to have to be willing to walk away from Moses and the law and confess Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Savior. And after you do that, you can be saved. Because he's writing to the church in Rome that are saved about Jewish people who aren't saved. And the next verse is in Acts 16. That if confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and you'll be, you know, if you believe in your heart. Well, what's, what's the scripture say about believing? Mark 16 and 16 says, if you believe, you'll be baptized. 16 and 17 says, if you believe, you'll speak with new tongues. Acts chapter 10 says, he was preaching on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what he was preaching. In Acts 11, he said, these received the like same precious gift as we who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Acts 19. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? 
Look at Roman, or Ephesians 1 and 30. Here's what I'm saying. The Bible teaches that you're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to believe as the scripture says. And the scripture says if you believe, you will be baptized. You will be filled with the Holy Ghost. You will speak with tongues. Don't water it down. Stand with me. I don't have my phone with me. Come with me around the altar. It's been a long week. There are a lot of things going on. Many of you know Sean and Laren not. Sean and Laren are watching right now. Every day, every day, Sean sends me a prayer. I wish maybe we could do it. We might, I don't know if it's possible, to send him to the whole church. Every day, he writes a new prayer. This is what he wrote to me. Dear Lord, when I am stressed out and overwhelmed, I cry out to you knowing that you care for me and that you do not want me to find safety in anything else but you. I run to you and look to you to bring a peace that passes all understanding. For you are my fortress and you are my protection against the storms of life. Thank you, Jesus. You are such a firm foundation in the midst of chaos and trouble. You are constant and unshakable. I am not building my life upon sinking sand, but upon you, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you for being near to me when I'm worried and afraid because I can always lean upon you and trust that you are always working things out for your glory and for my good. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Sean is a personal trainer. In the past, he trained the Detroit Lions. He trained with Michigan Wolverines. If you know him, he is the absolute epitome of health. But he was told last week that he has cancer. And it's very aggressive. And they're, they're doing everything they can. He wouldn't even tell me that. I found that another way. But I keep getting these prayers. And I made a pact in my heart. Today, we're praying for Sean and Laren because they want to be back in church with their two girls. Laren has an extreme immunity deficiency. And if she starts to bleed, she's a hemophiliac and she could bleed out just from, just from the simplest of cuts. They want to be in church. They need to be in church. Will you lift your hands and pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is my brother and my friend, but this is not my son. This is your boy. I haven't shed one drop of blood for him. I don't have one stripe on my back because of his family. But by your stripes, we are healed. I thank you, God, for every doctor. I thank you for the amazing nurses that really make the thing work. I'm grateful for people, Lord, who have devoted their lives and spent many additional years in schooling to help us when we're in a time of need. But they know and I know it's still called the practice of medicine. And there are very few things that are perfected and they're still practicing on us. And where they stop, you begin. I'm asking you right now, you said you are Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. So whether we need something to start, you're the answer. If we need something to stop, you're the answer. You said you can shut a door, and when you do, nobody can open it. You said you can open a door, and when you do, nobody can shut it. So I don't know. I, I don't know what needs shut. I don't know what needs open. But I am praying to the God that does know. You didn't ask me to heal, and I can't heal anybody. But you asked me to pray a prayer of faith. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the authority of the Word of God, I ask you right now to begin a process of mending and repair in the body of my brother. In the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to touch Sean. I'm asking you, God, to touch his, touch his sweet wife. 
take David Ward's place. I've been praying, God, I want him to be like Samson, and I want you to do more at the end of his ministry than all the rest of his ministry combined. I'm asking you, God, today to mightily anoint Dwayne and Brother Ward in Tanzania today. They're preaching in a church that we built. How could we have ever known that that would happen? But God's been so merciful and he's graciously gifted us with stuff. Would you pray with me right now for not just fresh, but a new anointing, a new anointing. Lord Jesus, I pray for Brother Dwayne. I pray for Angie. <laughs> she should have died. She should have died years ago. But you've extended her life. I pray for Dwayne right now. Oh, God. In my wildest dreams, I could have never seen Dwayne as a missionary evangelist. But there he is, God. Your word says, when I am weak, you are strong. Your word says, you will take the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. I'm asking you, God, right now, mightily, mightily anoint them and give them a great heart.